Hello, everyone. Welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands. I'm the head of content at B2B Marketing and Propolis, which is the global community for B2B marketers. And I'm joined today uh, by one Mr. Ryan Armand, who is the global ABX director at Henkel. So, Ryan, thank you for joining me. How are you doing today? No, thanks for the invite, David. Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. And you're, you're not helping <laughs> by making your title ABX, not ABM. Supposed to be on our Who side. Who am I not helping? <laughs> That's the question. Yeah. Well, should we get into that immediately, actually? What is yep. the difference between ABM and ABX for you? Um, so um, just to make it even more complicated, mm. I think that it is actually an evolution mm-hmm. of ABM, but it's it's such an evolution that, you know, the actual end product of what I'm talking about is very different in its actual form. So, you know, if we think about what ABM was always widely perceived to be five years ago, 10 years ago, it's pretty different to what how a lot of people are implementing it now. Yeah. So if you start to project forward five years, 10 years, you know, what what do we think ABM will kind of become? What will it morph into? And they often say, you know, you have to look to the past to see what might happen for the future. So, I mean, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, ABM, you know, I, I think it was kind of people understood that that acronym mm. but it you know was definitely not implemented the way that it is today you know you would personalize to certain accounts or what accounts you perceive to be your your most strategic accounts but now obviously it's become a full-on practice where people are segmenting their markets and they're able to personalize at scale they're able to target at scale and the alignment between sales and marketing is something that's deemed to be something that we just everybody should be doing because it's yeah. part of the same buyer journey but what about product development? Mm. What about pricing? What about the supply chain? What about service? I mean, these are all customer touch points. So the customer experience doesn't care whether they're dealing with sales or marketing or supply chain. They just want a consistent world-class experience. Yeah. Now, I think that what ABX will be is this synchronization of all of those internal functions around your markets and around your different accounts. I make it sound so easy. Um, and the reason that I don't think uh, you, you're seeing too much of that these days is because it isn't easy. Yeah, I think a lot of people are trying to crack the sales and marketing alignment. But I think that as we move forward on this evolution and as the customer experience becomes a little bit more seamless, I think that's what organizations are going to try to do. Yeah, Are we talking five years, 10 years, 15 years? I don't know, but I can only see that it's going to go to that, uh, that direction. Yeah, I think one of the challenges we quite often hear is marketing not always, but sometimes struggles to have a, a voice at the kind of top table. Yeah. Is ABX, do you think, feasible? Because you're expecting marketing to lead it, but at the same time, they, in many ways, they're still kind of seen as second place to sales. That's true. But I think, um, you know, sometimes for things to happen, and it is on a long enough time frame, your pre-existing paradigm that you see the way that something operates has to change. Mm. And I think... You know, it would have to change slowly over time. Maybe we don't even recognize it. By that, I mean, do sales operate in 10 years' time the way that they are today? Is, is marketing operating the way they are today in 10 years' time? I mean, there's some roles at the moment, and we even see it at our place, where, you know, I would go as far as to say you potentially can't see where marketing starts and sales ends. You look mm-hmm. at social selling, things like that. Um, that's the very early iterations of what I think we'll see. So, yes, okay, marketing do tend to take second place in terms of that authority at the table um but if you really go uh deep into abm abx uh (laughs) and you have shared kpis shared dashboards the board are bought in and sales and marketing are at the same table through that process then 
you know, project that 10 years forward, what are those sales? Well, I don't think the typical sales role is, is going to be what it is today mm. in terms of, I mean, neither is the marketing one. So I don't even know necessarily what this paradigm looks like, but I expect sales and marketing to be, to converge. And therefore I expect many of the other functions to start to converge as well. But this isn't a flick of a switch. No, of course. This is going to happen in a, an evolutionary way where we kind of, I guess, don't even realize it's happening until we come back. Maybe invite me back in 20 years, David, and we can <laughs> we can see uh, whether that's happened or not. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, you know, marketing is evolving and of course sales will as well. I, I'm not expecting you to have a crystal ball and tell us exactly what sales is going to look like in 20 years. But if you had to guess, where do you think sales is going and, it, and its relationship with marketing? Um, I think that, I mean, the the buyer journey, like I said, I think is going to start to, uh, we're going to be able to join up all those dots mm. a lot easier. The first touch point of the customer through to the 150th touch point. And of course, this is a buying committee. It isn't one in individual person, the customer as well. And so I think that if you think of the way that, that buying committees are evolving at different accounts and customers, um, I think you kind of need that that internal um, cohesion to be able to manage that that customer journey. And yeah. so I think that sales uh, will and are becoming more digitally savvy, uh, more uh, comfortable with digital data touch points on their customer rather than just, obviously it's absolutely critical to have these long-standing personal tacit relationships mm. with the customer but what are the what is the customer doing when you're not there shaking their hand having coffee talking about maybe in the lab talking about different formulations of products or whatever it might be what are they actually doing how are they consuming your content so i think in a way and maybe this is a bit of a, a bit it's just kind of how i'm thinking of it you know i think sales will will to a certain extent dabble in more marketing and marketing will dabble in more sales I mean, we're already seeing now with abm you know, the concept of deal-based marketing um, and the concept to, that sales and marketing are working together from the top of the funnel, if you even, you know, even the modern-day perception of a funnel is changing, mm. but from the top of the funnel through to the bottom, I think that just evolves and continues happening, David. So I think that, um, yes, it, it, to, to coin, you know, to, to mention what I said earlier, I think you will start to, it will be difficult to see where sales starts and marketing ends or vice versa, and I think that's what will affect the sales role. They'll have to become more digitally savvy and understand those other touch points of their customer that they didn't necessarily have to understand before. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, you know, you mentioned with ABX, it's about working closer with, you know, product or customer success or basically anyone who might have some impact on how the, the customer feels about your brand. Yeah. Do you feel that marketing's going to take more sort of ownership over over the, those roles as well? Or do you think it's just a closer working relationship? Or how do you see that evolving? You know, I think it depends on the organization mm. and how they perceive marketing. I mean, what what was and is marketing? I mean, if you take the seven Ps, if you go back and you, you take that original definition, you know, product, price, place, promotion, people, physical evidence, process, I nearly forgot the last one. Um, <laughs> that's That's it, right? That's... There's pro so. product, process, supply, you know. So I think that actually this weird uh, this weird thing has happened where I think in some organizations they forget or forgot what marketing was supposed to be in the first place. It was supposed to be all of those things joined together. Mm. Um, so um, actually I do, it does depend on the organization. I do think marketing for sure will have more say because they didn't have, uh, they've got data that they didn't have five years ago, 10 years ago. They've got intelligence gathering mechanisms they didn't have 10, 15 years ago. Um, 
and data is the modern oil and it's very very valuable um and it provides you know a lot of value to the end customer so i think that marketing definitely do like you said we we can't know exactly how this pans out but for sure if you are starting to you know have positive influence over more touch points along the buying cycle with more members of the buying committee and you have access to that data i think of course you're going to have you're going to have more influence yeah data is the modern oil is a, is a great saying so i'm going to pinch that um, it's not mine by the way but <laughs> <laughs> i should have taken full disclosure yeah. um, so okay so how does how do you think that technology and, and ai is the obvious one kind of feeds into that because you know as you've mentioned data is key but there's also a challenge around making sense for that data because when you've got a million spreadsheets and a crm and a cdp or whatever it is it, it's, it can be a bit data overload i think yes. so d- does that does tech and ai kind of come into that conversation i definitely think so um i mean it's interesting because i'd love to see some facts and stats around and i don't know how you would actually measure this but mm. how much data that an organization has is actually used for valuable purposes because plenty of it is but is it 10 percent, 20 percent? is it I, I would imagine it's um, unfortunately quite a small number mm. um so yeah um bring forward ai so ai um I mean, again, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, I think when you look forward 10, 20 years, you almost have to look at things on a a completely different paradigm. Um, So it's very difficult to to project out that far. What I can say is that, I mean, we've been using AI for years, possibly Mm. even decades. It's not just a new invention that all of a sudden in February 2023, uh, although you would think so, right, Uh, that AI had just suddenly sprung about. I think what we've seen is... um, We've had this relatively linear growth of AI, and now we're coming to that hockey stick exponential mm. curve. And I think the 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 big gain in large language models in February 2023, ChatGPT, um, you know, generative AI, is really caught people's imagination. I think that's the that's the big leap that's now going to take us to to stuff that that takes it really mainstream in our use. So with ABM in particular, I mean, I can already see where it's seeping into every single part of the ABM process. So market intelligence, account intelligence. And I'm not saying that it necessarily augments that overall uh, findings. Yeah. But in terms of um, the speed uh, that you can do that, you mentioned about making sense of the data. So when you're doing that research, um, predictive AI, prescriptive AI, actually enabling us to get to conclusions and insights that would have taken us hours and hours and hours before can really get us there a lot quicker and then content probably don't even need to talk about that because we can understand how generative ai will will help there and then in reporting and analytics of course understanding what customers are doing through your marketing automation system and crm and all of those different platforms i think is also going to really put rocket boosters on us you know let's say i don't know i'm making this up right but let's say we're using 10% 10% of our data to really in a really valuable way. You know, I think it will take it to 20, 30, <laughs> beyond, etc. So I think you're right. That's the key point. It's going to actually enable us to do things that we're already doing a lot quicker and probably with a lot more accuracy as well. Yeah. Is this something that you're using yourself? Because I, I get the sense when we talk about AI, there's a lot of kind of like excitement around it. But I'm I'm yet to meet someone, I think, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm yet to meet someone who is genuinely using it in an incredibly integrated way and mm. it's like a key part of all of their programs. You know, I'm just interested to know, is it something you're hands-on with or is it still more sort of philosophical? Wow, well, that's two ends of the spectrum, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Philosophical to uh, to integrated everywhere. Um, you know, it's 
it's not philosophical. We are using it, but it's not. It's certainly more teetering around the edges, yeah. looking for incremental gains. It's definitely not running everything. It's definitely not, you know, at the point that. Uh, and, and by the way, we, we we don't have to go into that sort of philosophical debate around whether it ends up running everything. I don't believe that it, it does. But I think, you know, if you just look at the spectrum of where it's sort of like, uh, you, you know, you're you're sort of piloting it um, or you're testing minor use cases versus, you know, you've just completely optimized it. No, we're, we're, we're not along that. But I and, and like you said, I've not seen many companies that, that are at the moment and it involves a lot of risk taking as well. Um, and there's other things, obviously, depending on the organization, there's um, making sure you're doing things in a compliant way um, and you you get everything right. So those those things kind of, um, I guess, slow it down a bit, but that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. Yeah. Um, so, no, we're, I mean, we I can only speak for obviously the, the, the function that I'm working in, but we are um, looking at it in terms of how we, we gather uh, intelligence, in terms of how we report, and even in terms of content. We want our content to be, you know, the highest, highest quality. So things where, you know, you're, you're generating a report or whatever it might be, like, you, you you know, you can't mess around with those things. So you can use it to kind of, I guess, give you a start mm-hmm. in terms of framing a white paper or looking at types of creative or whatever. But um, then then you very quickly take over to make sure that it's the end product is absolutely right. So um, I think that's kind of where we are at the moment. As for other companies, like you say, but I mean, you know, at the ABM conference this year, maybe ignite. Maybe we see some some big uh, some big breakthrough, which I'll be very interested. Uh, I'm sure lots of companies are working on it at the moment. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So let's talk about Henkel then. Um, well, for for context, who are Henkel? What, do, what does Henkel actually do? 147 years old. Um, so actually, get, get, yeah, yeah. Well, no, still a still a spring chicken. I think yeah. plenty of uh, plenty of uh, plenty of scope to go. I'm absolutely sure. So yeah, I mean, I think it's testament. We were talking about the Lindy effect earlier. Actually, it's quite interesting. Um, you know, um, and we operate in 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 home laundry and well consumer and in B two B with our adhesives business. I'm more on the adhesive side. It's very B two B. And we're in over 800 markets. And that's what's going to be interesting when we talk about, you know, the ABM plan and um, the, uh, the the ABM conference, for example, where you're talking about how you do one-to-many, one-to-few, one-to-one. Well, we're in 800 markets. And there are sort of strategic verticals like, you know, aviation, automotive, medical, et cetera. Um, but the, the beauty really of Henkel, certainly Henkel Adhesive, is that, you know, we are a chemical company. We're an advanced materials company. But we develop different solutions for different industries. Mm. You know what you need in uh, aviation is obviously very different to how we can help you with our materials in medical yeah. and the outcomes that dream. But hey, hang on a second. The accounts and the large accounts in uh, aviation have slightly different wants and needs to each other because they've all got different strategies. So that's the, the fascinating thing about Henkel. I think you know if you take like a software company, for example. You know, you can adapt your software for different needs. But at the end of the day, software is software. Yeah. Um, but when you're talking about materials that go into hardware that help to run the world, you know, um, I think the, the Henkel really specializes in in having that, that knowledge and expertise on, on material science, but applying it in a completely different ways in completely different industries. And so... That's um, that's what Henkel do, um, and they keep disrupting themselves and they keep innovating. And I'm hoping, obviously, that's that's what we're we're doing at the moment as well. So um, hopefully, another 147 years at least to go. Fingers crossed. So, why do you think that um, ABM or ABX was the sort of right kind of approach for Henkel? Because I can imagine that 
I mean, I think you said 800 markets. That sounds like a lot of, you know, it's a lot of markets, basically. Yeah. So is, is that a challenge when you're trying to do ABM on that scale? Yes, and I mean, everything's a Pareto distribution, right? So, I mean, within those 800 markets, some of them are going to have longer tails than others. Um, and some of those markets are obviously a lot bigger than others. Um, so it it is a challenge. That's why we, we love it. Um, we love the challenge. Um, but, you know, I think a bit like, you know, how you would build a pyramid for your market. Mm. In a way, you you kind of have a pyramid of your markets and, and they're different wants and needs. And you tailor uh, what you don't have. Again, we can come back to ABX, but tailoring your organization to fulfill those wants and needs. So um, that's the reason that I think Henkel are looking at ABM, taking it seriously, looking to scale it now is because uh, it revolves around the customer. And yeah. that's that's where they've, you know, uh, really excelled over over the, the, the decades, really, is constantly looking at how the customer environment is changing and then changing with that. And so that, for me, is ABM because it is constantly looking at your markets, your different accounts within the markets, constantly keeping your finger on the pulse with what drives them and what outcomes they want to drive and then helping them to do that. So really it was inevitable that the, that they were going to, to go down that road. But as we know, and from the different debates, and um, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear at the Global ABM Conference as well, you know, piloting ABM, um, doing it on a, you know, more of a microcosm within your organization is very different to scaling it across the whole organization before you even, honestly, before you even actually talk about ABX. Yeah, no, I, I, I can completely believe it. I mean, you uh, recently sat on a panel in Propolis, which, as I mentioned earlier, is the global community for B2B marketers. Um, and the panel was all about how do you make ABM more central to what you do? Um, and you had some some great insights, as did the other panellists. But just from your own personal perspective, can you just sort of tell our audience what your thoughts are on that, how you can really make ABM sort of central to everything you yeah. do? Well, so interestingly enough, I, I do think you have to start on a smaller scale. I do think you have to start with a type of pilot or trial. Now, look, if you're already halfway through your journey, that's obviously not not necessarily the case. But, you know, if you're relatively new to ABM, I think you have to ensure that a number of different things are in place. So you have to really sell the concept to the leadership. You know, um, we at the, let's say, for example, you're in a situation where you have a limited budget and you're doing a lot of, say, demand gen activities, um, and it's relatively spray and pray, and, yeah, you get some leads in, and people clap now and again, and, yeah, <laughs> that's great, right, okay? And there's seen as, seen as quite useful. And there's no way that's not having an impact. Yeah. But you go forward and you say, well, I'll tell you what, let's actually do a real deep dive analysis on our market. Let's understand where the biggest opportunity is. Um, let's have that on an ascending, descending order of accounts, and let's give... You know, let's go a bit deeper. Let's give the accounts what they want and need rather than having this more of a one-size-fits-all approach. And then you might you might get some comeback to say, well, how long is that going to take, yeah. right? So, okay, yeah, does it take longer? Yes. Um, no surprise, right? So, but, okay, so why would I wait longer? Well, okay, and you can get statistics from, I mean, you know, not to uh, to plug B2B and uh, properties, but you can. <laughs> but there's statistics. If they're not in your organization at the moment, there's statistics out there that will tell you that, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze if you really buy into it and you make sure that all the proponents are there and you execute it properly. So you need to, we need to sell that message to the leadership um, and then say, well, okay, look, basically, if you have this target with these markets and these accounts, we're saying we can come on board and help you to reach that target. It's not all on sales shoulders. We'll work with sales 
Um, but we need to start with maybe a particular market or a particular set of accounts and the actual, so not some figment of, you know, not something over here with like, oh, yeah, X amount of leads. It's like actually we'll drive the pipeline that you need to hit the targets to ensure growth within the organization. Mm. And yes, you might start off with leads and MQLs and, and trying to join up those MQLs for, for a buying committee within the account. And so you might start off in a similar place. But if you can show that they are the digital breadcrumbs to getting you towards that pipeline, then and the leadership buy into that and they give you the time, eventually, I think, and it's nearly always been the case when I've worked on it or seen other people work on ABM programs, over time, it becomes clearer and clearer that it is actually contributing to the top and bottom line. The second that that happens, you've changed the game. You've mm. changed the conversation. You've done it in a small microcosm, but once you have that piece of evidence then, you can then literally compare that to the control group. What's the control group? The rest of the organization and, and the way that you go to market. Mm. So, well, actually, well, if we manage to say that for every dollar spent on marketing, we generated X amount more pipeline, or perhaps in another part of the organization, you, you, you don't even know what was generated through the marketing spend because it's not even at a point where people are expecting you to say that you've generated something. Then it's a much easier sell, obviously. Yeah. And so you have that. And then what I would say is, so you're asking about how it gets to the central part of the organization. Um, you start there by being deliberately not part of the central part, and then you scale up, Whether and it depends on the organization, but maybe you scale up to a new market, a new region. It depends on your go-to-market model. And I would say you do that very slowly, deliberately, and incrementally because the conditions in the pilot, you have to have people who have the skill set. Sales have to be on board, so you need particular people where it's regional sales and the key account manager to be on board with you from day one. You need the right technology set up, and you need to implement the process properly as well. If you then flicked your fingers and said, right, let's go and do it for 18 more markets, you can almost guarantee that in some of those, that other 18 is not going to be implemented the way that you did it in the pilot. Mm. The drop-off <coughs> of knowledge and, the, and in the process, and maybe you pull people in to do it who haven't quite been upskilled yet. You know, the conditions of the pilot have to be the conditions of scale. Yeah. And so I think you then want to take it very slowly, and maybe for the second market you start to upskill someone who was involved in the pilot who wasn't a traditional ABMer, and then they go into that market. And then as each market or each different faction that you scale up to, you have this mixture of upskilling internal talent and bringing in external talent as well. Until you reach a point, I think, of like escape velocity, where let's say 51% of the marketing and sales organization are ABMers, and then it's much easier to get the rest, the rest in. But I think that's a, a really critical point because I think that, um, you know, you see a lot of organizations bolting ABM on um, or saying, yeah, we're doing ABM. And then you, you dive in and you, what you find is that actually it's not ABM as many other people perceive it. Yeah, that's the way I would see it. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's sage advice. When it comes to finding um, ABMers, what exactly are you looking for? Because from my mindset, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, OK, it, ABM is a strategy, but, you know, this, the sort of core things you're doing are still pretty standard digital marketing, you know, whether it's display ads or whatever it is, I, I don't know. Do you, is, are there are specific things you're looking for when you're hiring an ABMer? Future business leaders. Mm. I mean, you say, you know, standard digital, so I, I don't disagree with you, but let's think about it, right? It's standard digital marketing. It's standard nurturing. It's market analysis. It's account analysis. It is personalization. Yeah. It is analyzing 
and reporting and iterating as you go along. On their own, those th- you can hire people to do any of those things on their own, mm. but I don't want to hire 18 different people. An ABMer needs to understand all of those things and control and lead all of those things mm-hmm. together. That is not easy to find. Um, and yes, you know, you might you'll have a team there as well, but that is, uh, you know, I genuinely see ABMers as, as future business leaders because honestly, I ABM is becoming as we were talking about earlier with ABX, it's becoming the a slash the go to market strategy for many businesses. So these are almost GTM strategists. So, um, you know, it is it is very difficult to find ABM talent, I suppose, to upskill as well, because you really have to understand the strategy for a market and understand, you know, market intelligence, account intelligence, but then have to understand how do you actually utilize that intelligence to create gripping, compelling content for the account Um that's going to resonate with them. And then that content has to be mapped across the buying cycle. Mm. So it's not just awareness, it's education, evaluation. And then as we mentioned earlier, as you start to get in those really high quality leads with the account, you're probably working with sales on a deal to a certain extent. How do you find that in a, and I, I'm, I'm speaking saying, you know, I don't have all those things, you know, but it is this is what I mean. It's this evolution at the moment. I think um, it, it that's what makes it so fascinating yeah. as well. Um, and the other part as well, of course, I think, communicating with senior leadership because if you're working to them goals you know you're not just really running and hiding away in your own little function you need to be able to speak to senior sales and commercial leadership so that's it's a lot in in a role and i think that's why a lot of people start doing factions of abm and then maybe grow up grow through the organization to an abm leader yeah but um it's not easy but i mean how many if you look at the skill sets in the job market now that mirror what you'd need for ABM versus 10 years ago, I bet it's a factor of 10 higher. Mm. So what will it be in five years time or 10 years time? You know, so I, I think we'll get there. There's probably a gap, but in fact, there, there is a gap. Um, yeah. But I think that that hopefully will get filled over time. Yeah. Do you feel then that the, the role of the ABM is almost like a, an orchestrator? You don't necessarily need to have... I don't know, whatever the skill is, you know, you don't have to be an SEO expert or, or whatever. It's more mm. about having the just the brain, the brain power, basically, to really kind of consider the full, the, yeah. the big picture and then sort of bring different marketers into the, the equation. I think so, yeah. yeah. I think, I mean, you need you need to, and it's, it's that whole thing, you know, we were having a conversation about AI the other day and um, we were saying, you know, actually, the utilisation of AI in the future, you don't, you're not actually because of AI in many ways, you don't need to know how to code. What you need to understand is how AI can be input into a mechanism and what output it will drive. Same with ABM. So, you know, I don't uh, know uh, the best hue and saturation of a picture that goes in a white paper, you know, that goes to, like, that's not necessarily my job. And there are people there that are experts at that and can make stuff look fantastic. And, and they're they're contributing immense value to the overall process. Um, but, yeah, I don't think you need to be like an expert in each individual one, but you need to know how each individual one communicates with each other mm. and drives that end value. I think that's the key. And for me, that's, so I don't know, you know, we say ABM, ABX. Is it even going to be called either of those things in five or 10 years time? I don't know. Is it just a GTM strategist? I don't know. In a way, it doesn't really matter. The, mm. the point is our organization is going to do it or not. Um, but that's, that's, that's what I see. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you can necessarily, at least law of physics would tell you, right. You can't become an expert in one thing 
um, and then be expected to understand how it compounds into everything else. So I do think you're right. It's it's about orchestrating that overall process. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's totally valid. Um, when we come to when we sorry when we talk about ABM, quite often it's it's still that kind of bolt on or it's mm. it's kind of like a side piece re- reserved for a few handful of accounts and you have all the demand gen stuff continuing I, I guess almost it's like a safety blanket more than anything else maybe just so marketers can say yeah we're doing abm but you know don't worry we're still bringing the leads in so <laughs> everything's fine don't worry but um do you ever think we'll get to a position where you can spend all of your time on abm or is that just totally unrealistic and the demand gen stuff still needs to continue give me a hypothetical scenario so what what if you're doing demand gen, who, mm. who are you targeting with your demand gen? Uh, I'm targeting uh, buyers in the tech industry mm. um, at SMEs, and basically, and let's just say that's that's it. That's the target market. To keep it easy. Okay. Well, the key word was SMEs there, right? Yeah. Because um, if you if we'd have said anything else, I'd have said, "What's the Pareto distribution of that market?" Mm. Some accounts will have. The lion's share of the value that, uh, not the value, so the of the, the of the economic predominance in that in that industry, and you have different Pareto distributions in different industries, obviously. Yeah. But if you're specifically talking about SME, then um, yeah, I mean that that in itself obviously would lend itself to more demand gen. I would even make the case if you analyze that market, there's still going to be a 80, 20, Well, maybe it's not eighty, maybe it's 70, 30, 60, 40 there, but there's still going to be that phenomena mm. in S- in the SME market. Um, so, you know, in a way, is that a, 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 is that a million times different to ABM? Um, I'm not so sure. Um, I think it comes down to what are your business goals. Mm. So if, for example, it depends on that business, but in, if in that business that SME market is worth two or three times what the, uh, the market is where you're doing ABM, then, okay, you'd have to say, fair enough, it depends on the business you're in. But I think in most instances... If you're an enterprise and you are providing value to businesses um, where you're driving outcomes and solutions, high ticket items, long buying cycles, I'm. it's very rare to see an instance where ABM isn't the best approach in that scenario. I think if you are, as you alluded to before, if you're selling into a market that has an extremely long tail, I think it's a, it's a different conversation. But apart from that, and that's really the only instance, really, apart from that, I think if you do your analysis properly of the market, yeah, this is the TAM of these accounts, this is the TAM of these, this is the TAM of these, this is the wants and needs of these accounts, this is the wants and needs of these. Once you go through that process, I'd almost go as far as to say, why would you not do it? How could you make a case not to do it? If you go through that process and you present that data, then why would you not do it? Yeah, I, yeah, totally fair. My final question for you, and then I will uh, I will let you get off. Um, you are, of course, speaking at the Global ABM Conference, which uh, takes place on the 1st of November in London. So can you give us a hint about what you'll be speaking about at the event? Yeah, so it will be, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the the, the ABM journey um, at Henkel Adhesives and uh, really talking about um, the pilot that we had been running for the past couple of years, the, the challenges there, the, the breakthroughs, um, really just a lot of the things we've discussed today, actually, you know, how do you get that buy-in? What is the end goal? What are we trying to achieve here? Um, how do you set yourself up for that? Uh, how is the team working together? What was that relationship between sales and marketing? 
you know, bring, I don't want to give too much away, but bringing in other functions like product development, et cetera, how can they have and, and add value to that? And then how do you actually prove that value? Because obviously it's not that easy if you've got mm. long buying cycles. So we went through all of that. We are scaling um, at the moment. So um, there's a bit of a spoiler, you know, that that's the good news. And so I think the unique thing about Henkel, as I mentioned before, and the ABM comp has always been fantastic the last few years that I've been um, and you see, obviously, a lot of great um, case studies, so mm. much value to, to be derived. What's interesting with Henkel, obviously, is we are, you know, an industrial company selling into so many different markets and with different value propositions for each market. And obviously, with the, the age of the company, I think that's what makes it unique. I think that's what makes it interesting. So hopefully people find some value in that. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I mean, like you say, we've, we've touched on some of the sort of broad topics today, the philosophical ones, as I yeah. say. Um, but yeah, at the conference, get a real sort of deep dive into how you've yeah. done it and, and the sort of things you've learned along the way. Just a note to our audience, um, you know, if you want to attend the Global ABM conference, uh, please check out the link in the description. Um, the conference is the place to meet your fellow ABMers and just get the inside track on how to deliver growth through ABM. Uh, this event is going to have over 500 B2B marketers in attendance, 450 50 of whom are senior marketing leaders. Um, it's going to have over 300 brands attending from 25 countries, um, all delivering a series of great sessions across four different stages. Um, alongside Brian, we've got some other incredible speakers, including Neil Berry, who is the global ABM director at Capgemini, Rianne Blackwell, who's an ABM leader, global marketing organization at PwC, um, and Google's Alice Clark, who is the head of strategic accounts ABM at Amir. Um, and many, many more, of course. So Ryan, thank you for joining me today and uh, see you at the conference. Thank you, David. Cheers. See you there. Bye.